Hi everyone, I'm Claudia Sarek. And I'm Matt Lynch. And this is So You Wanna Run a Restaurant, powered by Back of House, where we let you have a seat at the table and talk about trending topics in the restaurant industry. Well, we are really excited to have Jasmine Chef on the show with us today, eh Matt? Yeah, she is uh, the uh, brains and culinary talent behind uh, Tasting India, mm-hmm. which is a really cool uh, virtual kitchen that launched during the pandemic here in Chicago, actually, where you and I both are. So that they Ooh. were definitely one of the really like kind of buzzy virtual pandemic success stories as like we both know and have talked about on this show about how that space really kind of exploded during the pandemic. But I think this is such an interesting point to talk about that space now as we're kind of moving into uh, normal restaurant operations and kind of the big question of like, where does this go from here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she is so passionate about the food, the cooking, the flavors. I mean, even some of the menu items that she's brought have been like really different Mm -hmm. than some of the other food that you might see at traditional Indian restaurants. So I want to, I think everyone's going to enjoy this conversation and how she's thinking about how to take that experience into a virtual concept because you're you're not, you lost the brick and mortar, especially during COVID. So be a good discussion. Definitely. Uh, Yeah. One one thing we get into a little bit in the episode is the importance of having a real, you know, specific point of view when it comes to Mm -hmm. a virtual brand. And she, she definitely has that. So yeah, it was a, it's a great talk and I'm uh, yeah excited for people to hear from her. Just a heads up to our listeners. We had a little bit of an audio issue midway through the episodes. We tried to smooth it out a little bit. It does get better, so just bear with us. Thanks. So Jasmine, we're so excited for you to be joining us on the show today. And I'm excited to hear about your story, where the virtual dining space is headed, and all the cool things that you're up to. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so Jasmine, what we thought you'd be a, a great guest for this discussion about, like Claudia alluded to, where ghost kitchens are headed. Before we, we get into all that, I'd love to hear, uh, for those who don't know, kind of how you entered this space in the first place and how you came to find yourself starting a ghost kitchen concept. Yeah. Um, so I started Tasting India right at the start of the pandemic. Um, I was working in management consulting for a while, taking a break from the restaurant industry, uh, and then the pandemic hit. We lost all of our clients at our management consulting firm, so I got laid off. And figured, what what's the best time to start a new business than when the world is literally exploding? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but really, it was you know, Tasting India was inspired by sort of my need to feel close to my family who lives in India to mm-hmm. kind of introduce some sort of like safety and familiarity in this sort of unpredictable climate that we found ourselves in. Um, mm-hmm. And very quickly, it kind of took a life of its own. Um, I, I remember my first menu that I that I published on the insistence of a, of a friend of mine. Maybe five people bought it, and three people I already knew, so their neighbors, two of their neighbors, <laughs> mm-hmm. purchased the menus. And then very quickly, it was like literally hundreds of people a week that I was cooking for. So um, wow. it was quite an adventurous and crazy start. Now that I look back at it, I'm like, what? What did I just get myself into? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, did you grow up in a really cooking family? Is that kind of? I'm sorry, I'm wondering where like all the inspiration came from to start. Yeah. So my mother is the youngest of eleven brothers and sisters. So oh wow, every sort of holiday or weekend, it was like you know ten of us, like aunts and uncles, and all their kids. So all my cousins running around in a house, and all my aunts are ex or were excellent cooks. 
Um, so it was always the, the memory of, of those sort of festivals or celebrations is always centered around food and cooking like one specialty dish as, as a group. You know, we'd sit around the, the kitchen uh, in a circle on the floor, like share stories and gossip together. And then my aunt, one of my aunts would like just break out in song and dance. The other one is like telling a story <laughs> about it. It was like utter chaos. But what I remember most is sort of the house always smelling great and always being a very nurturing sort of environment because food was such a central component of how we showed love. Yeah. To each other. Um, so, yeah, that's how I learned cooking is, is, you know, through just watching my aunts do it, standing with my mom in the kitchen. I was just always curious about spices and how she mixes things um and i think like a big part of of growing up in in that type of a household and sort of cooking culture is that there are no written recipes unfortunately right so we love okay. so much of it with some of my aunts passing away and they never wanted to share their secrets and you know and so when i started this business that was a key component of what i wanted to do is write down every recipe that i'm putting on to the plate and sharing with my clients as well. It sounds like it was a full experience too, that you were like, they're talking about it. They're singing, they're dancing and cooking. So I love that. Sorry. <laughs> I, that uh, recipe element's a great segue. Cause I, I, I know I've seen you comment before about how uh, Tasting India is really interested in exploring all the different regional cuisines of India mm-hmm. and how, how varied and vibrant it is. And I know kind of in, in America and certain circles, there can be some, big misconceptions about Indian food as just kind of being one thing. So I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that element of Tasting India and kind of uh, ex- exposing people to how kind of rich and varied Indian cuisine can be. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my inspiration behind each menu was also my own childhood experiences mm. traveling through India. Um, my family mm-hmm. were big, like, road trippers. Mm. And so every opportunity we got, we got into a car, picked a destination and drove to it. Didn't matter if it was two hours away or 12 hours away. Um, yeah. My dad just loved driving. And so, you know, it was like the easiest thing for us to do is to travel that way uh, and experience the cuisine in every place that you go to. So, you know, what was very interesting for me when I started tasting India and wanting to focus on or highlight different Indian regional cuisines is, in my conversations with even my friends who I grew up with in India, even they weren't aware of sort of the the, the breadth um, of cuisine within the diaspora, right? And so it was a very unique opportunity to be able to highlight those regional cuisines to sort of really bring new flavors, yet familiar tastes mm-hmm. to people's uh, plates. Um, and Matt, you're absolutely right. I think like in sort of in the US, maybe in, you know, other sort of Western countries as well, there's a very limited sort of just tip of the Indian mm-hmm. cuisine iceberg, if you will, uh, in terms of what is showcased and shared with people, right? Mm-hmm. So and that presents a challenge, but also an opportunity. I think the challenge is, you know, restaurants need to stay profitable and find recipes that are very easily scalable, um, uh, you know, at that level. And that's why I think most restaurants tend to stick to sort of what is most commonly known or well-received right. uh, and are afraid to sort of branch out for, you know, just just being scared of like not being able to sell that dish. Right, right. Um, but I think the opportunity there now is with sort of, you know, the, the world being so virtual and global. Mm-hmm. The opportunity there is to also really open people's eyes to what Indian cuisine really is. Mm-hmm. You know, 
talk about like butter chicken or chicken tikka masala and that's not even it was not even created in it right yet, right you know? <laughs> there's such a huge <laughs> misconception of like what yeah is. um and you know while sort of the dishes that you do get in most restaurants like when you focus on maybe south indian cuisine and dosas and things like that it's delicious but there's so much variety and variation mm-hmm. you know when you talk about like northeastern cuisine there's so much um, influence from you know tibetan cuisine there as well so um you talk about like portuguese uh, influence down in pondicherry and french influences in certain culinary uh, you know spice blends and things like that so just the opportunity there is really endless yeah was there anything that surprised you that you put on the menu that you most people like talked to you about and said oh my gosh i haven't seen this or tasted this before but this is amazing why can't i get this all over the place yeah um you know, I think one menu that was super surprising, even for me, was um, from the state of Assam, when we focused on sort of the seven sister states, we call it in the northeast um, of India. Uh, there's a lot of influence of Tibetan cuisine, of Chinese cuisine, things of that nature, just, you know, because of proximity. Um, and one of the menus we did, we did like a smoked pork with soybean. And that's not typically what people would associate with Indian food. Pork is not a huge part of our diet, um, Mm -hmm. but there are certain parts of the country where it is very pork heavy, Northeast regions being one of them. Um, So that was a menu that was very, very surprising. One, it was, if I can say so myself, extremely delicious. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Two, it was one of our highest selling menus after Indo-Chinese. Um, and I, I still get people asking when we're bringing Assamese cuisine back or the cuisine of Meghalaya and all of the small sort of the seven sister sister states because it's just so unique and you don't find it commercially in restaurants at all. And it's a yeah. sort of specific skill set because a lot of those states are very eco-friendly in terms of the ingredients that they use on a daily basis. They only use what's grown around them. And so it's hard sometimes to also find those ingredients out there. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I'm curious when when you were uh, kind of conceiving tasting India, what what was really behind the decision to be like? I I think a, a virtual brand is the the right way to go with this. Was it kind of primarily just about well, people can't go anywhere right now, so uh, yeah. this is probably my best way I can attack this. Yeah, I mean, I think that definitely you know one realistic sort of um, uh, expectation for for that time because restaurants were closing down, like physical spaces were just not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also, if I remember correctly, I think the first couple of months of the pandemic, people really didn't even leave their house. They were afraid to even go and go right. shopping and stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, that just really wasn't a possibility realistically at the time. But I think what also really motivated me to make Facing India more of a virtual brand is the ability that it gave me to have the freedom to create any menu that I wanted. I wasn't restricted by sort of these like massive overheads that most brick and mortar restaurants have mm-hmm. or staffing issues, um, things of that nature. So, you know, it, and it's also one thing that I've tremendously enjoyed about cooking is just being able to cook what I love to cook and not not being stuck in sort of a, a specific menu for months on end. Mm-hmm. Just find that very boring, which is probably why I didn't um, succeed in the back of house and can you make something new already <laughs> yeah I'm wondering how you translate the experience though because I know that's always a challenge sometimes with virtual brands and what it sounds like to me when you talk about the food is that it was such an experience like seeing the spices seeing the cookings the smells the taste so like 
how do you how do you get that to the consumer? How do you translate that to get folks really excited about what you're doing? Yeah, I think for me, you know, what started out as just wanting to have you know, some familiarity in my daily life and missing my home and wanting to sort of share my experience growing up in this sort of like culturally rich country quickly became the catalyst that was connecting me with my customers or, or my guests, as I like to call them. Um, it was really the personal storytelling aspect. I think that's how you translate something that is, mm-hmm. you know, such a virtual concept or such a new thing. Um, and for me, it was very easy to tell those stories because I've lived through those experiences, right? And so it was just about, you know, how, what are the aspects of those stories that can, that can help people connect to the food that they're going to eat? But also, I've always emphasized and focused on sort of the information sharing or storytelling aspect of it and knowledge sharing. Yeah. Like where is the food that you're enjoying? Where is it coming from? What is its history? What are the traumas behind creating sort of that that cuisine, you know? Um, yeah. So I think that was that was a key component for me that I definitely wanted to emphasize. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I'm curious, sort of, uh, you know, after starting in the pandemic, now that we have been in kind of a bit of a sustained period of like quote unquote normalcy, at least like restaurants have been open for a while and things like that kind of what, what that kind of transition out of the pandemic looked like for tasting India. And also kind of, you know, I think with a lot of virtual brands, the question is always like, Oh, are you planning on opening a brick and mortar place possibly down the road? Or um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious how things have been more recently and what you're eyeing down the road. Yeah. I mean, the brick and mortar question comes up at least twice a week for me, <laughs> people. <laughs> I bet. Um, and, you know, at first I was like vehemently saying, no, absolutely not. Um, now, while I still don't think like a brick and mortar location is the best translation of this concept, uh, I, I'm not like completely opposed to it, but I, I do think that there are other creative ways to maybe translate mm-hmm. experience. Uh, I always sort of think of like, you know, teach a man to fish type of uh, analogy. Um, which is what also motivated um, me to move from just sort of the weekly meal delivery menu, meal kits sort of a format into mm-hmm. what I'm focusing now is sort of a spice blends, um, direct to consumer sales, retail, those mm-hmm. type of stuff. Um, a lot of what I did when I created all of the weekly menus was I would make every spice blend in house by hand from scratch. And so quickly people started asking me like, oh, that flavor and that one curry you made, how did you, you know, what spices did you use? And so that really motivated me to start creating the spice blends. I also think when I first started Tasting India, my sort of end goal or exit strategy was to move into more of the CPG retail space. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Because that was one challenge that I did notice in, in having sort of this virtual concept especially in the format that I was doing it in where every week it was a different menu, a whole set of different ingredients, which is sort of crazy to me now, is that it's not very sustainable um, mm-hmm. from just like physical energy um, mm-hmm. ways. Uh, I remember earlier this year when I went to India to do a lot of our sourcing of spices and stuff like that, I just felt so burnt out from doing menus. And when I came back, yeah. having been able to gather the courage and the bravery to start the menus again um, yeah there's, there's also a lot of other reasons i mean staffing has been impossible um, rising cost of ingredients so 
you know, when, when you're I'm thinking of sort of pricing these menus and stuff like that, um, you know, there's only so much you can raise your prices to after beyond the point it becomes inaccessible, people can't buy it, and then what's the point of doing it if you can't share it with people? So mm-hmm. um, I guess roundabout way, I don't know if I answered the initial question, but that's all right. <laughs> These yeah. conversations kind of ebb and flow, but that all it all comes together really yeah. nicely. Yeah, exactly. Just like a recipe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, I'm curious though. Now that you mentioned your your CPG line and the spices, how is that doing? Did you notice that there's been a real appetite for that? Yeah, there's definitely a huge appetite for something that's new and unique. That's something yeah. that, that people can bring the experience into their homes and actually recreate it for themselves. Right. So that's a mm big portion of sort of what I like to advocate to people as well is that you know don't be afraid to like experiment in the kitchen it's, mm-hmm. it's how I learned to cook and I remember my mom always telling me like don't be scared to add stuff like what's the worst that can happen it won't be a dish that you imagined it would be it might be better so, yeah. um, <laughs> so I, I think the spice lens is, is definitely my way of sort of bringing that philosophy to people and, and encouraging them to just open their flavor palettes and their minds to something new. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I always tell people about the spice blends is that just because they are Indian-inspired spice blends and regional spice blends does not mean the only thing you can make with it is a chicken curry. Mm-hmm. So right. uh, our spice blends are super versatile across different cuisines. I know our clients have used it for, you know, their Sunday sort of pasta sauce simmering on the stove for eight hours or in burger meat or as barbecue rubs things like that so it definitely lends itself to a variety of uses yeah which is what i think has made it so popular amongst our clients yeah it sounds like people are getting very creative with it which is great Mm -hmm. using the food so well okay i want to switch gears here a little bit and talk about the ghost kitchen and virtual kitchen industry as a whole yeah. It feels like we've seen some growing pains this year, especially in some of the bigger ghost kitchen operations, partnering with larger brands. What do you think the future holds for this space in general? Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I think the possibilities are endless in terms mm-hmm. of ghost kitchens and virtual restaurants. I think just by way of like the law of nature, we will see certain concepts dying down that won't be as sustainable or as well received. Um, but I think in terms of opportunity, there's just a tremendous amount of opportunity to open up different revenue streams through your ghost kitchen concept, right? So, I mean, I think now we are seeing the rise in terms of like really unique and different types of activation spaces for these brands as well, like Mm -hmm. taking over empty parking lots or doing pop-ups at farmer's markets. Uh, A lot of restaurants, I mean, this past summer, I was doing two farmer's markets myself, and I've noticed like a lot of restaurants have started popping up at farmer's markets to sell packaged pasta, for example, that they make in-house or their sauces and things of that nature. Right. Definitely that sort of that CPG line that that can open up as as, as a revenue opportunity. I think more interactive experiences like dinner and a movie in a drive in theater, like you know, pop up a a, a, a tent or a yeah. drive in, cater your your restaurant meals for, for dinner while people are watching a movie, I think would be such a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's just so much creativity there that's possible. Totally. What what do you think will be uh kind of projecting things down the line, some of the biggest determining factors for the the virtual brands that you know really become a mainstay uh you know in people's food 
uh, consumption versus some of the ones that, like you said, obviously, I think there were so many that started during the pandemic. I think not all, totally. of, like any restaurant sector, not everything's going to make it. Some things are going to uh, close down. And I'm, I'm curious what you see as some of those big factors for success for uh, a virtual brand like yours. Yeah, I think just being able to offer something that's very unique that people have not seen or experienced before is probably going to be key. But also being able to um, see into the future and being able to scale that that unique concept, I think, is going to be mm -hmm. the key driver to success, right? So for my own brand, if I'm being very realistic, I don't think it, I started it off thinking of how to scale it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and just the challenges of like new menus each week and not being able to train somebody in the same dish week after week. That's mm -hmm. a huge challenge. And I also think that's, that that has led to sort of my own personal burnout and then not, now not knowing sort of how can I bring that back into the fold. So I think thinking of those sort of very realistic factors is, is uh, super important. Um, yeah, just making something delicious. <laughs> There's so many other, there's so many virtual sort of these ghost kitchen concepts where, I mean, you go pick up your food and it's just so bad, uh, you know, so <laughs> doing it for the sake of doing it, I don't think is, is going to lead to long-term yeah. success. Fast and easy doesn't necessarily mean tasty. Exactly. <laughs> I, I don't think throwing a different box around Chuck E. Cheese pizza and calling it something different <laughs> is ultimately going to be what endures. Uh, in, in I'm also oh, come on, Matt. Mentioned... It's nostalgic. It's nostalgic <laughs> eating your Chuck E. Cheese pizza. We need it, like it a, we need like good a... when I was six. So maybe right? I'm wrong yeah. about that. We need a little mobile ball pit that comes with it. Now that would be a virtual <laughs> yeah. brand experience right, right there. <laughs> Speaking of like virtual experiences, I don't know if any yeah. of you guys uh, tried any of like the high end restaurants that were doing takeaway meals at the start of the pandemic. Oh yeah, like when Alinea started doing it, and some of the yeah. other. We did do the uh, the Alinea at home. Uh... What did you think about it? We, we had a pretty good experience with it because I mean, it was it was the thing about that is it wasn't priced like Alinea. It was priced pretty reasonably actually, and yeah, it it needed a fair amount of like uh, home prep. Mm -hmm. I I think if you were someone who was like deeply afraid of doing anything in your kitchen, it probably wouldn't be a great experience. <laughs> For you but I'm, I'm pretty comfortable cooking and stuff so we we were, we were happy with ours um yeah but what matt's not telling you is that he will like he will make his own chicken stock and like all of his own <laughs> like meats that are like sitting there on the stove for hours and he'll bring in pictures and show me and i'm like what you're like your own culinary <laughs> machine my friend <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I know enough about working in the restaurant industry <laughs> to know that I, I'm not cut out to be in the restaurant <laughs> industry. So it's it's purely a hobby for me. But I, I have the deepest respect for those who, yeah. like yourself, have uh, yeah. taken the plunge and started something. <laughs> um, I, in that vein, I'm curious also, so you, you mentioned starting the CPG brand. Do you think, I think there are a lot of creative opportunities for virtual brands to have not just the ghost kitchen, but a number of different partnerships and revenue streams and things like that. Do you think that flexibility and creativity is also kind of a big potential factor for those who are able to succeed is kind of, you know, having that ability to, to pivot and do a number of different things, not just necessarily the ghost kitchen itself? Yeah, I, I for sure think so. I mean, I think for, for most restaurateurs and ghost kitchen operators, like, you 
it's almost a requirement. You have to think of creative revenue streams because just mm-hmm. that one stream from ordering from ghost kitchens is it's not going to be sustainable in the long run. Like you have to innovate a little bit more and you have to bring yeah. You have to think of how you can take that virtual concept and make it more interactive for folks because that's what they're looking mm-hmm. for. I think I, I I don't know if we are now anymore in the space where people only want to go out to restaurants to experience good food. I think mm-hmm. they want that experience back home as well and to some mm-hmm. some level also, you know, there's so much fascination around like watching all these cooking shows and stuff and people want to be able to experience that for themselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So. I guess in that vein, what advice do you think you would give someone taking all of this knowledge that you have now about going into the virtual brand space, the ghost kitchen space? What do you what do you tell someone who says, I'm thinking about launching a virtual concept today? Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest piece of advice is something that I didn't follow for myself. <laughs> yeah, uh, lessons uh, learned. That's OK. Yeah, reel, yeah. It, reel it in. It's, it's, it's good and it's exciting to want to do everything. Mm-hmm. But try to keep, you know, as they say, like keep your skews smaller. Um, yeah. There are a few things that you do really well versus doing 15 things, just half-assing it. Mm. I, I'm, I'm curious as uh, someone who ru- runs a virtual, are you a, a fairly active consumer for yourself of other mm-hmm. like virtual concepts when you, when you see them pop up? Is that something you like to, to try out to see kind of how, how they're, uh, not not just executing the food, but marketing and packaging and things like that. I'm I'm yeah. curious how often you scope out the quote unquote competition, so yeah, to speak. No, absolutely. And I, you know, speaking of competition, we'll come come back to that. But I'm definitely super interested in in seeing sort of what other chefs are making as part of their virtual concepts, uh, how they are executing it, how they are packaging it. What are the things that they're considering when they come out with a new menu? Because to be quite honest, when I started this, like there was nobody to to look at and sort of, you know, see as an example of how to do this. We were all mm-hmm. just honestly sort of winging it and seeing, you know, mm-hmm. what can you do? How can you hustle and how can you make money to pay the bills? But there's a there's a there's a handful that I feel do some really great work. And I think there's with this whole um, sort of new cohort of chefs that have become their own business owners that have you know that started with the pandemic there's also tremendous opportunity to influence sort of hospitality culture um mm-hmm. you know there's there's a, a chef called jennifer kim um mm-hmm. who runs alt economy which is basically her way of like you know providing sort of free community classes and resources to other chefs and business owners and you know, how to, you know, just something simple as how, how do you do a P&L statement for your pop-up, for example? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what are the factors you need to think about in terms of financials, profitability, transparency, good work culture, things of that mm-hmm. nature? So I think those types of uh, ideas and concepts are very attractive to me. I'm super passionate about those as well. And then there are others where, you know, I really don't want to cook and their food looks delicious. And I'll just order it and go to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, cheese fries yes please exactly exactly. um a lot of like you know a lot of chefs that do like you know asian flavors that you don't see in asian restaurants as well which is kind of similar to what i'm trying to do with Mm -hmm. flavors that you don't get in restaurants i think those are super creative Mm -hmm. are you finding there to be kind of i know uh in brick and mortar restaurants yeah there's such kind of a feeling of community and chefs are always very quick to it seems like help each other out and you know talk shop and things are you finding that with 
virtual brands that there's kind of a a community of people who run these that are like you know t talk to each other about how to go about things and things like that is that something you've discovered during your time doing this more than i would have ever experienced i think in a broken motor space mm. um there have been several instances where maybe I have a pop-up and I just don't have enough help. And I just reach out to all of these chefs and be like, who wants to help me, you know, for this pop-up? And, you know, at least four people were responding, like, I'll be there. No questions asked. So I think it's, it's, it's been a really great opportunity to reconnect with folks like that and reacquaint yourself with the sense of community that this industry was built upon. That I think, like, in sort of your traditional restaurant uh, concepts like over the last few years we've kind of lost that right like people first has never been the mantra for a really yeah. long time um, and so I think working with all of these virtual kitchen concepts and chefs who've now become their own bosses and entrepreneurs in themselves like we all feel the pain and we all recognize the importance of people first now and how can we support each other while we're still making money but that's not the only end goal mm -hmm. That feels like a theme that we've heard a lot in the last in the last season of, of the show as well. And I think that, you know, all this stuff that you're talking about and some of these some of these challenges that you're thinking about or that other people should also think about when they're launching this. It helps to create that more solid foundation so that you mm -hmm. can build up that culture and that brand really early on. So I think it's really insightful. Um, some of those things that you had to say. Yeah, and there's um, a tremendous amount of knowledge sharing that, that can happen, right? Because like all yeah. chefs have had their own like multiple years of experience working for restaurants, working in the hospitality space. Maybe some come from a finance background and they bring that knowledge like, hey, this is how you need to look up, look at your finances when you're thinking of doing a pop-up or a virtual concept. Right. You know, yes, it's fun to do it, but like you also have to be realistic and make some money out of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's still a business, even though yeah. it's really cool and it could be like an Instagram flash thing. Right. But, yeah. So, well, OK, final kind of a wrap up question here. Fast forward five years from now, what's a change in the virtual kitchen industry that you think would surprise some people? I think that, you know, so far we've seen virtual restaurants be more focused on like fast casual concepts. Mm -hmm. uh, I think one change that would be interesting to see, and I hope we do see it, is virtual kitchens uh, focusing more on sort of every um, every different spectrums within that sort of dining experience. Right? So not just focusing on fast casual, but maybe something that's a little bit more interactive, high-end dining, and how we translate that to more of a virtual concept. I think that would be super interesting. Um, and I think the other, the other thing that I hope we see, and I, and I think we will, is uh, virtual concepts focusing more on very specialized regional cuisines, focusing mm. on, you know, we've seen the sort of farm-to-table concept for brick-and-mortar restaurants, but how about using that within a virtual space? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Well, I'll be looking forward to it. I'm still I, I'm still definitely ordering from them and keeping helping to keep them in business. I mean, I feel like I'm at if I'm not at a restaurant, I'm ordering or I'm doing something in the kitchen. So yeah, <laughs> love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Jasmine. It was great to have you on and talk more about this. Yeah, thanks for the great conversation. Yeah, thank you. Want to hear more? then you need to head to backofhouse.io where you can find the latest on restaurant technology, industry news, a ton of free how-to guides and interviews with industry experts. And while you're there, definitely remember to sign up for our free newsletter, Back of House News. 
our team of reporters cuts through the noise and gives you the headlines that you really need to see each and every week. This is honestly one of the best weekly newsletters I've ever read, and I wouldn't say that if it weren't true. Follow us on Twitter at BOH underscore news and at We Are Back of House on all other platforms. Go!